On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, host Austin Fitzpatrick interviews Scott Stansbury, and in typical Austin fashion, they are talking baseball. Uh, Scott has done a lot in the world of baseball, including working at Division One, working at Division Three, being a head athletic trainer, and also now getting into pro baseball, with that being the minor league medical coordinator and just generally being busy as it is with pro sports. So they really get into the details of all of that. Um, Austin asked for advice that Scott would have uh, for anybody that is looking to break into the baseball world, especially into the professional. Uh, a lot of ground covered here, so if baseball um, and even professional sports is of interest to you, definitely worth checking out um, and listening to this one. Um, I know Austin was excited to get back after a busy fall season. As always, we are brought to you by Mueller Sports Medicine. Uh, so many good things that they're doing, so many more good things coming uh, in the future. Uh, fortunate to, enough to get a trip down there uh, here soon and get caught up on everything that they have going on. So look for some content coming out of that. But without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. It's been a while since I've been on here with one of these episodes, but I am back now that baseball season in the fall is kind of winding down a little bit here. And kind of on that baseball note, I am here with Scott Stansbury. Um, If you have previously listened to the podcast before, you may remember he was part of our baseball roundtable way back. This was a year plus. I'm thinking yeah. so somewhere in there. So, um, so I actually met Scott a little in person, a little bit later down the road when we were um, during college baseball season, but we'll kind of get there, but just to give a little background then on Scott um, graduated from Salisbury university masters from Villanova. And then he went on to work at Villanova for a little bit followed by Notre Dame, which is where I met him. And then he went on to Salisbury after that, serving as their head athletic trainer and currently with the Baltimore Orioles as their minor league medical coordinator. So welcome back, Scott. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's always fun to talk a little baseball here. So, I mean, I don't think I did you justice there with that intro there. So maybe if you could just fill in a little bit more about your background for those who maybe haven't listened before. Yeah, no, I, I think that was a pretty good synopsis, at least the Reader's Digest version of uh, the Cliff Notes version of uh, of my career. Um, but yeah, I started out at uh, Salisbury as an undergrad back when the undergrad programs were a thing and um, just a great four years there. Went on to Villanova as a grad assistant. Uh, that was my first kind of exposure to high-level baseball um, at the D1 level and then um, ended up fortunate enough to, to stay there full-time for two years, um, actually worked through NovaCare um, rehabilitation as a contract athletic trainer. And, um, and then it, it kind of led me to Notre Dame. 
um, which I didn't really expect to be there for as long as I was, but uh, 14 years and um, all with baseball, a little bit with football uh, for, I guess, 12 of those years. Um, and then, um, you know, had the opportunity to go back to my alma mater, back to Salisbury as the, as the head athletic trainer. And um, that was probably one of the few, if not maybe the only job I would have left Notre Dame for at the time. Um, and my mentor, Pat Lamboni, who I am forever indebted to, um, decided to retire uh, at the end of 21 and uh, the 21 school year. And so it, it was a good opportunity for me. And um, so we left Notre Dame. Um, we, we went to my girlfriend and I and, and her daughter went to Salisbury. We moved to Salisbury in uh, July of or June of 21. Um, just after we lost to you all down in Mississippi State. And um, and then we kind of, you know, settled in to, to life on the Eastern Shore and, um, you know, expected to be there for a while. And, um, you know, it was, it was interesting. And we can probably, we'll probably get into it a little bit, but, but just the, the, the timing was okay. The timing was right. Um, the, the challenge was the adjustment to that level. And um, it just wasn't necessarily where I saw myself um, long-term, uh, but I was willing to figure it out. And, um, you know, things happen for a reason. I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and so I, I really thought it was a joke um, about a year ago or so. Um, I got an email from the player development director at uh, the, with the Orioles. And um, I grew up in Maryland. I'm a Maryland born and bred. So the Orioles are, are my team grew up with them in the eighties and nineties. And um, I really thought it was a joke. Like I thought who was messing around with me and, and he reached out and said his said that my name had come across his desk and I was interested and interested in at least talking to them and seeing what it was all about. And um talked to their head athletic trainer who I knew uh, previously from, from my time at Salisbury, Brian Ebel. And we had him and I had a great conversation and it, it just, it just worked out. So um, I guess about a year ago or so, I was officially brought on board, um, started in December of last year with them and um, just finished up my, my first season. Awesome. So, I mean, we'll definitely keep rolling on and touch on your current role with the Orioles, but back up to something that you said there and kind of that transition from Notre Dame, you know, a big, a power D1 school down to Salisbury, which is a D3 school, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, yep, so, you're right. So yeah. having spent the majority of your time in that D1 setting, the Villanova, the Notre Dame, what were some of the biggest challenges that you face on that transition? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they all speak for themselves. And I think anybody that listens to this podcast or has had the experience of working at a division three or division two um, school can understand that the, the resources. And when I say resources, that is a huge umbrella of, of everything. Um, but it, it was just so different. Um, not necessarily all bad or negative, Um and then that's that's one thing that I made sure I wanted people to know when I made this transition, specifically people at Salisbury, that it wasn't about, you know, that I was 
leaving D3 because it wasn't, you know, that high level. Um, but just the resources in general, the facilities, although Salisbury has some of the best athletics facilities in Division III, um, that we had that when I was in college in the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, they've always been at the top of the, the line for that. Um, but staffing, scheduling is certainly different. Um, you know, they're, the players, the athletes are all across all sports. Um, you know, there's no scholarships involved. There, there's no, although now with NIL deals, that it's probably a little different. Um, but just that kind of stuff. Um, the access to outside medical care was was different. Um, again, not negative or, or, you know, positive necessarily, but just different. Um, and so, and, and as something as, sim- as simple as like the setup of campus medical services was just different. And, you know, I think one thing that was a challenge for me was the access, having all that access for a long period of time and then not having as much access or, or kind of, it was like a hard stop with a lot of things. And it was, it was just very, it was very difficult. It was very challenging. Um, but there are ways to work around it. That's what makes you good athletic training. You have to find ways to, to make it work and improve. Right. No, for sure. And I definitely agree with you that on that point that you make it, that with those changes right now, I'm in a mid major division one school, which even you go from a power five, you know, big school down to the mid majors, you start to see those similar changes. And it's not one of those things where it's better or worse than the other. It's just different, which is a yeah. point which is, I think, an important point that you made there, that it's not. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, I mean, I, I was at Villanova D1. They were off site. They were off campus for baseball when I was moving a truck full of coolers every day to a stadium, like, that was, like, a, almost like a city park or, like, a township park that we played at. Um, so I, I've seen it both ways. Like, I've gone from that mid-major D1 baseball to, you know, in the mid-2000s to Notre Dame and, whatever you need type of deal. And then it was like, but there were some things at Notre Dame that we didn't have. Like there were, there were certain things that we didn't have that we still had to deal with. So it's different in every environment. And I think that's what makes you a good athletic trainer at the end of the day. It's like you take what you learn from all these other experiences and you utilize that, utilize those lessons to improve or make changes to wherever you're at now. And I think that's a huge huge piece of our profession that sometimes I think it's a little underrated at times for some of us. Like, I don't think we really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't think we really like rely on that as much as we should like rely on those experiences, rely on that. Like the D one experience was helpful for me in having to be resourceful going to division three. And even here in this environment, like, at the minor league level, like this is very similar to some power five D one programs. It's just, there's more volume. There's 200 players that I'm responsible for. Now we have athletic trainers that cover those 200 athletic trainers or 200 athletes, but like, it's still very similar. So like some of that experience I've used to kind of develop my own, you know, way of work here in this environment. Definitely. And I mean, you already answered the next question I had for you and kind of how you transition and how you bring those experiences together in your next setting. But you also made another big change going from uh, Notre Dame to Salisbury, 
making the move from being an assistant associate athletic trainer, you know, to being the head athletic trainer as well there. So can you talk a little bit about like that transition? Because yeah. that's, I feel like that's one of the bigger ones that you can end up dealing with there, especially going from, from different divisions. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a good point. I mean, I think, um, you know, from a career perspective, like I felt like I was ready for that challenge and, and I knew I was ready for that challenge. And I, I look at this, I look at the job I'm in now as a very similar role, right? Like I'm the head athletic trainer of the minor league system. Like if you want to really like put it in those terms, like that's kind of what it is. Now there are things that I'm not necessarily responsible for as the head athletic trainer of the minor leagues, but the, the point there is like, I felt prepared for that. Now, the one unique thing I thought about that I felt I was ready for was like being ahead of 40 athletes or 45 athletes or whatever it was and helping out with another sport like football, which had a hundred plus athletes. Right. Um, and then, okay, now you're in charge of 600 or however many athletes Salisbury had. I think it was a couple hundred. Right. But you're in charge of all that. And you have other staff to help you. You're not everything, not everything has to fall on you. But at the end of the day, like everything does come back to me eventually, right? Like the head athletic trainer needs to know that the, the baseball player in the fall has an issue. Um, so that were those were things like I had to kind of adjust to and, and be aware of. The hard part, um, you, we talked about challenges. I think the other hard part was, like I said, staffing. It was myself and a grad assistant for football at the D3 level. And most people would say, oh, well, you probably get through okay. Like it was tough because there were things I had to do administratively that I needed to get done during the day. We had player care to worry about. The players would come in and get their treatments. And I have a GA who has to go to class, you know, one or two nights a week, right? So, you know, finding resources. One thing we did was we we went out and we tried to find some students to help us. And, and we were lucky enough to find some that were interested in getting into athletic training eventually into the, into the mat, getting into a master's program. So like that was kind of my, my goal while I was there was to develop a, almost like a, a, a funnel of students that get a good experience as an undergrad, but they're not getting that athletic training education. And then, Hey, you're going to go to you know, ABC master's program, and you're going to be like, Hey, that's a Salisbury student. And they've got a great, they've had a great experience and they're far ahead of any other master's students we had. Like that was kind of my idea and my thought. Um, and we were starting to develop that a little bit. And then obviously, you know, wasn't there long enough to really develop it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like having all of those things to manage and also be, the lead athletic trainer. Like I'm not going to put all of football onto, onto the grad assistant and let them be in charge. Although because of necessity, I had to have her like manage a lot. And, and that was important for us to function well during the season. Um, so that, yeah, it was, it was tough. No, absolutely. And I remember even during my time as a uh, grad student, I was in one of the first master's classes there. I did one of my rotations at a D3 school where you wear those many hacks where you do rely on those students. And luckily for us, we still had um, athletic training students coming out of the undergraduate programs so that made things a little bit easier. But it, 
I think that's a really good point that you touched on, especially now with the transition to a master's program there, just some of those student aid programs and things like that become all that much more important. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the the reality was like Salisbury had just transitioned, I think the year before out of the master's program. So their students last year, I think were like the last group of students to come out of the master's program. And And they were already set. They already had rotations set. So it wasn't like we could pull them out of those rotations to come because they'd already done Salisbury rotations. So we weren't pulling students. Like I wanted to pull students from other master's programs. But again, like you're trying to do that in August when everything is going full bore. Um, And and then the other challenge is like those student aid programs. Like we had a student aid program in Notre Dame that that worked really well. It was awesome. And, and our staff does a great job of, of educating them. You know, they primarily help with football, but they help with all the other sports too. And they are, they are the reason why Notre Dame sports medicine works so well, because they have people to help them do all those other little things. In developing that, it's so starting to develop that at Salisbury, like you have to pay them. You're, you're not just getting them for free. So right. you have to find that in your budget, like all those things that kind of come across the plate of the head athletic trainer. Like you start to have to develop, you know, some theories and some, some processes for making that happen, you know, within your constraints that, that are at that level. Absolutely. And like you said, like things on that front are changing. So, I mean, different tasks than you've probably been used to in the past, but I bet that kind of Blends well with kind of where you are right now with the Orioles, picking up more of those administrative things. So you kind of told us a little bit about how the opportunity with the Orioles came apart. But I guess one thing that I want to touch on for those who might not be familiar with baseball, especially professional baseball, would be what is the role of the minor league uh, medical coordinator? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. A lot of people ask me that. <laughs> um, so. Um, really in a nutshell, like my responsibility is to coordinate the medical care for our minor league system, for our player development system, as we call it. Um, my responsibilities are to the full-time athletic trainers that we have on staff, um, which we have to, uh, about seven full-time plus our, uh, sorry, eight full-time plus a PT athletic trainer that is based in Sarasota here um, that works with us with, with our long-term rehabs. Um, so it's that staff plus a staff of seasonal athletic trainers that I'm responsible for. We hire seasonal athletic trainers primarily from spring training through the, you know, the end of the fall sea or the end of the, the season in early fall. Um, to be essentially assistant athletic trainers to our full-time staff at each affiliate, including Florida and including in our Dominican Republic Academy. Um, so my, my responsibility is to that staff and managing that staff and then being responsible for making sure that our players have the appointments that they need, when they need them, where they need them, um, making sure that our documentation is up, up to speed um, on our EMR, EMR system. Uh, which is a league-wide system. So if a player does get traded, um, it's going to be the same system. It's going to be the same information. So I have to make sure that that's up to date on a, on a very regular basis um, and making sure that our staff is maintaining that um, to our standards. And we have a we have a standard 
within the organization, uh, there's a standard in MLB, but there's a standard within our org that kind of goes above and beyond that. Um, so that's that's a big piece. Um, making sure that our, our athletic trainers have the medical services that they need at their affiliates. We're lucky in the Orioles organization that we have three of our affiliates in the state of Maryland, all within a two-hour drive. Um, and then our our other affiliate, our AAA affiliate is in Norfolk. So generating those um, medical care systems, the physician systems there, or at least maintaining them and making sure that our players have access when they need it. Um, that's a big part of my role. Um, another big part of the role is just managing the day-to-day -day at, at the affiliates, making sure that, and like I said, making sure that all the administrative things are being handled appropriately at, at each affiliate and including here in Sarasota, which is why we got to a point last year. I was just, there was so much going on and we have so many guys, you know, that come down for rehab. Now we, we shift a lot of our guys to rehabs in Florida. If, if it's going to be a long-term, you know, four to six week type time frame, we'll bring them down to Florida. Um, with that, like we have a lot of people in the building. So uh, we just hired an assistant coordinator um, to help me kind of manage the Florida aspect of everything uh, because Florida is an affiliate there. Our complex league is an affiliate. It's, it's like our rookie league, um, but it's 60 players right. alone. And that's, that's just, you know, every other, every other roster in our affiliate system has about 28 to 30 players on average. So doubling that and and not you know having one or two athletic trainers like you really need somebody to kind of manage that so um so that's kind of like i said in a nutshell like that's just i just kind of do a little bit of everything um i'm kind of the liaison between you know the major and minor league system we have guys that that get promoted um and, and get back and forth between triple a and the majors so making sure that uh you know, that things are communicated well and well in advance. If things are coming up, I'll get phone calls about players um, and their status because a player move may happen or may be happening. And so the front office, the management needs to know what that player's status is. Hey, this player was, was, you know, out last week. Where is he at right now? Cause we're thinking about moving him up. Um, so, so having that every day. So I, I'm in constant communication with my staff on a pretty daily basis. Um, it's, I can't tell you how many times I talked to our AAA athletic trainer in a week's time. Like it's not just once a day. Sometimes he'd call me two, three times a day. You know, our, our other affiliates would call two, one or two times a day. I mean, it constantly communicating with our staff to know what's happening in the minor league system so that I can provide that information to our front office. It definitely sounds like you are a busy man, right? Right there with that <laughs> schedule. Yeah. So well, I mean, you know, the, you know, the other thing, and, and I didn't mention this, but the, the other piece is like in Florida, we're operating kind of on a, you know, a, a regular time. Like we, we kind of go in the building at 7 a.m., maybe a little earlier, and then we're out of there by three or four o'clock, five o'clock some days. But when we're finishing, all of our affiliates are starting their games, especially when we're in season. So being, I don't like to say being on call, but like if something happens in a game in Aberdeen, Maryland on a Tuesday night, that athletic training staff is going to let me know so that I can message it out to our, our front office and, and keep them up to speed. So it is constant communication. And um, that's another reason why we, we hired an assistant was just to kind of 
have a little bit of sense of normalcy at times, like not have to be on call from April 1st all the way through till September 30th <laughs> every night. Like even our off days in Florida, which are Sundays typically, um, you know, our affiliates were playing. So, you know, I was still on call. And then Mondays were the affiliate off days, but we had to go in the building. So it was, it's really hard to find a quote day off. Um, right. which I know many athletic trainers are, are in that same boat. So it's not, it's not anything that I wasn't used to. I can say that. <laughs> right. So kind of on that, I mean, making the transition from college where, you know, you know, the craziness, you kind of know that February through May, June, if you're lucky is kind of when things are absolutely crazy. How does that change for you now that you're in professional baseball with your are your off seasons crazier than your in season? How do those two kind of differ? Yeah, that's yeah. Um, you know, the biggest transition for me, I'll be honest, like this off season this year, this fall, excuse me, was the first time that I've had any type of like downtime since the pandemic season of 2020 when we were all shut down. Um, this has really been the first time because I went right into football season 2020, baseball of 2021, right into being a head athletic trainer, right into spring training, and then right into the season. So I really tried to find some time to, you know, just relax and, and take a few days and um, just kind of hit the reset button. But I tried to find time to hit the reset button, even in a busy schedule, like I said, um, Honestly, that was probably the biggest difference is the season is so long, um, so much longer than anything I had, I had done in the past, right? Um, even at the Division One level, you know, you have your fall ball season, and I was working with football too. So you had kind of August into football and fall ball with baseball. Baseball kind of winds down in November in South Bend. So it was like winding down in November. Football's still going. You had bowl season. So we were we were constantly in that you know, practicing and then going to the bowl around holidays. And then January kicks up and here comes baseball back. So I, I wasn't necessarily not used to that long drawn out season. It's just, there were different sports. So it's almost like a change of pace and it's actually better for you. I think it was better for me, but going baseball from January, mid January, all the way through until the end of September was a lot. Um, and, you know, it went by fast, but like it was, there were days and weeks when I was like, holy cow, we're only, you know, four or five weeks into this season. How many more weeks do we have left? Um, so that, that was a tough, tough change, tough transition. But um, honestly, like I enjoyed, I, I enjoyed being around baseball. So it wasn't, it wasn't a, I didn't see it as much of a grind as, as some people may, or, or may, it may appear to be, Um that was probably the biggest, the biggest change. Um, and then obviously you're, you're just around one sport all the time. So you kind of get locked into what's happening. Um, and you kind of forget about, like, I gotta be honest, I've totally forgot like when March madness was happening with college basketball. And I used to be like constantly involved in that cause you're around the college campuses. So, you know, what's going on. Um, just things like that, just to, just to, you know, lose, not lose awareness, but you just kind of forget about what, what time it is in the year and, and what's going on around yeah. you. No, for sure. I definitely understand that personally for me, once 
baseball season starts in February. All I know is do we have a game or do we not for the next yeah. like, four or five months there? Yep. So I guess, sorry, you probably hear my dog crashing in the, no problem. In the background there. <laughs> um, so on that, I mean, one question I wanted to ask, especially for young professional athletic trainers, I mean, we look up to the majors, we look up to professional baseball, and it's oftentimes, whether it be right, wrong, or otherwise, like seen as like the highest level of baseball. Um, whether you believe that or not, I mean, like you said, kind of with your divisions, I mean, there's no like wrong place. Everyone has its own different special set um, of things. But I guess for those who are interested in getting into professional baseball, do you have any advice for young athletic trainers, athletic training students who are looking to potentially break into that field or that side of baseball? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I when I was an undergrad, I had I had a, a vision of of getting into professional baseball. You know, twenty plus years ago, that was kind of what I wanted to do. A lot of my friends were doing internships in the summer, and it just seemed like a cool thing. And I was a baseball guy, so that that was kind of where I saw myself. And then I saw them and the lifestyle that it was, and I kind of turn that off because I enjoyed being around the collegiate setting as much as I, you know, wanted to do that pro baseball. I was like, well, you know what, maybe it's better to step away and just be a, and still be a fan and not, not get involved in that. And then I, you know, was in the collegiate setting for 17, 18 years. Um, and I still enjoy being a fan and of pro sports, specifically pro baseball but now it's now it's part of my job. But but I didn't I didn't expect to be in professional baseball here at this point in my career. Never never in a, in a million years did I think that was going to happen. The opportunity presented itself. One of my hesitations, and I was very clear about this when I interviewed, was I'm not I haven't done all of the things that some of these minor league athletic trainers have done forever. You know, riding buses all night to play games the next, the next few days and, and all those things. Um, and I, I kind of felt like I didn't want to be like that, that guy. I didn't want to be that guy that just came in and got, you know, and one thing some people told me was like, Hey, you've earned this opportunity from, from the work that you've put in at, at the other levels. Um, and, and so that kind of made me at least settle me a little bit. Like it, it's still, I know there's a lot of people that have done this job a lot longer than me, especially the guy I replaced um, here who retired. Um, he'd been at it for 20 plus years, 29 years, I think it was. Um, and I, I did the same thing at Salisbury. I replaced a guy that I, you know, that, that taught me that had been there since the, you know, the eighties, nineties, like it's, it's a tough, it's a tough task. Um, so, for, but to answer your question, like to get into professional baseball, I think you just have to continue to work hard for any young professionals that want to get into it. Um, the PBATS internship, I can honestly tell you is, is part of the reason why we have such great um, candidates for our seasonal positions. And we, we hire seasonal athletic trainers every year. So they're, they're new every year. And the, the, 
six or seven that we hired this past year, um, were all looking to potentially see if professional baseball is what they wanted to do. You know, and a lot of them had aspirations to come in and and get a good experience. And they all hopefully got a good experience. I think some of them realized this is really what I want to do. And so they have opportunities now with other teams. Um, we obviously, if, if things go well and we want to hire them internally, we try to do that if we have openings. But if we don't, like we're very encouraging to, to push them to other teams. So seasonal opportunities, PBATS internships, um, any type of internship that, that you can get your hands on in professional baseball, professional sports for that matter, not just baseball, like professional football. I know um, they do a lot with their with their summer training and, and other things. Um, just put your, put your application in, you know, good resumes, good cover letters, explaining your goals, um, explaining your skill set, and, you know, interviewing, you know, well, and, and practicing those sorts of skills, um, interview skills and things like that, I think can, can really serve uh, a young professional well to, to want to get into professional baseball. Absolutely. Or professional sports for, for that man. No, absolutely. Totally agree with you. And for those who might not know, PBACS is the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers, Athletic Trainers Society. Make sure to put up their uh, website in our yeah, they have a they have a job. Yeah, they have a job website and all the se- typically all the seasonal positions are up there. I know we'll post our seasonal positions probably in January. Um, but all of the minor league jobs are open there, even some major league jobs they put up there. So um, but yeah, it, it look the biggest thing is just getting your name out there, networking. I think I said this on the baseball podcast a few back, I think it was January 21. I looked it up. Yeah. Um, but it was which seems like a long time ago. Um, uh, but I think I said this, like networking is a huge, is a huge part to this profession. And I wouldn't have gotten to Notre Dame without making connections with the baseball athletic trainer there at the time who then chose to go just to football. And so there was a baseball position open and, and him and I had made a, had built a relationship and we're still very good friends to this day. Um, so I, I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if I didn't know him, you know, and and have a conversation with him. Um, so networking is a huge piece, and and putting your putting yourself out there for for opportunities, summer internships, and otherwise are are just a great way to go. Absolutely. And so I have a question for you now that we didn't have on our episode sheet here, but it's just kind of presenting itself here with you being the minor league medical coordinator, and I think I've seen like your name on some of those job postings, what are some things that you in particular look for when you're evaluating some of those candidates? Either be yeah, that's a, personality. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a yeah. great question. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. Look, I think um, what we're looking for is goal-driven individuals um, that are have presented or, or have shown that they have a quality skill set that can, that can make us better, that can make our department better. Uh, even if you're here for a year as a seasonal athletic trainer, we want to know that you're going to bring something to the table that's going to make us better. And it might not be, it might not be anything earth shattering. It may be something that maybe we've done before, but maybe it's a little different, you know, different trains of thought. Um, we, we are very much a, a communication based staff in terms of like, 
if we find something that works well, we will share with everybody. So, um, so that's, but like goal oriented driven people, um, look, like I said, we had people that we, that really thought that's what, this is what they wanted to do professional baseball. And we had people that got put into really difficult situations throughout the season that they easily could have just, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm thanks for the opportunity, but I'm going to step away. And they didn't, they stepped up and that to me is a huge piece to this, to this, um, to, to, to what we're looking for. Um, and, and then personality, just people that are good communicators, people that, you know, allow, um, allow themselves to be open-minded and communicate well with others because in, in professional sports, one thing that I figured out really quickly is there's a lot of people to talk to and you got to figure out when to talk to them and how to talk to them and um, just learning some of those. And, and it's, there is some, there's some learning that goes on. I mean, one thing that my, that my boss, Brian Ebel, who's a head athletic trainer for the Orioles. Um, one thing he says is he doesn't expect anyone. And I agree with him. He doesn't expect anyone to come in and be an all-star athletic trainer in their first year. You know, there, there's still going to be some things that you have to learn. I've learned a lot in my first year. He expects that. Um, and he's going to expect more of me this year because now I've had a season under my belt. And we expect the same for many of our staff that we hire on or, or seasonal staff that we hire for a year is you're going to be a better athletic trainer when you leave here, whenever that may be. Um, and, and hopefully we get to keep you around for a while, but yeah, people that want to get into baseball and, and at least want to give it a shot and see, um, what their, you know, what their interests are and, and where they, where they see themselves is, is big for us. Gotcha. No, absolutely. I agree with you with all that. So I think we have enough time here. If you remember from your last time on the show, we had our like five AT chat questions. We kind of revised them a little bit here, but some of them will be kind of similar. So we'll kind of rapid fire through some of those here for you to kind of get all right. your opinion. So where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? So kind of set the example with that. Yeah. You know, it's obviously a profession that is, that has evolved. I think even from two years ago, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic the last time we we're on this, on this call. And um, I, I think, I think a lot of people in this profession and, and you're seeing it now with a lot of people kind of transitioning away um, is just finding a good work-life balance. And um, I think that has to be a huge piece to this profession over the next five to 10 years. Um, and, and it's not something that can come at the snap of a finger or overnight. It's just going to, you really have to work at it and find it. And, and look, I'm still 20 plus years into this profession. Like I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Um I hope I have a good feel for it, but I'm still, I'm still working on it. Um, so I think that's a huge, a huge piece to this. And and I think, you know, this profession has um, gotten a different look because we carried a lot of people through the pandemic to keep sports going. And I think we have to build on that. Um, I think we have to build on that idea that, you know, as you said earlier, like we wear many hats, like even, 
even at the division one level, some of us wear many hats, even at the pro level, some of us wear many hats. Um, and so we have to be able to build off of that and, and use this as an opportunity to say, Hey, look, we're, we're valuable here. Um, and we're valuable in different environments and here's why, and, and use that, use that evidence. And I know people are working at it and, and that's good. Um, we just have to keep doing it. It's, it's like I said, it's not something that I don't think is going to come overnight, but it's something that we have to keep working at. But I, I do think the work-life balance thing is a real big piece. And I think a lot of people figured that out when they were home and, and realized like, yeah, I can, I can kind of do this or, or have to spend more time at home because, you know, people are sick and whatever, like you can, you can figure out ways to make this work. Um, and just, there's a whole, I think this profession can evolve into a really good work-life balance. Like th this profession has gotten run into the ground as athletic trainers. I say the profession's got run into the, like, like the people that are part of this profession have been running the ground for a long time. And I think we can certainly do a better job, each of us individually on, um, you know, finding a good balance and, and making it better for all of us. Absolutely agree with you on that one. So what advice would you give to yourself as a young athletic trainer, knowing what you know now? That's a good question too. Um, I, I'll go back to the work-life balance. I mean, I think finding that early on. And I, I, I try to tell that to our seasonal athletic trainers. I try to tell that to our full-time staff, like you have to find a way to make it work for you. Like this is hard. It's not easy for everybody, especially in professional baseball, but any professional sport, but even at the division one level, even at division three level, like this isn't an easy profession to do on a daily basis. Um, but you have to find time for yourself. And if you don't do that, you're going to get buried. Like you're going to get burnout. You're going to realize like, this isn't for me, but maybe it is for you. Like, maybe it is like, maybe you can be a really good athletic trainer. Maybe you're just not in the right environment. So I think finding a good work-life balance early on, if I could give myself some advice, would be like, don't be so set on, you know, don't put your blinders on and work work, 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 like open yourself up to what else is going on. Cause you're going to miss out on a lot of things. And, and I wish I would have known that, you know, way back when, um, but at the same time, it's, it, this sounds like I'm contradicting myself here, but like a lot of the reason that I'm in the position I'm in now, or have been in the, the opportunity that I've gotten over the years with USA baseball and, you know, all those things, it was because I went like this and just put them down and just worked. But I don't necessarily recommend that like over a good long stretch of time. I think you really have to figure out like what what do you need to do to take care of yourself to stay fresh every day? And that's that's a huge piece. Totally agree with you on that. And that actually rolls really nicely into our next question there. So with you as an athletic trainer in your current role, how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think, I think, like I said, I'm still working at it. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. But I think the biggest thing is like finding time, making time for for the family. Um, you know, making, you know, choosing to to 
go. We're lucky enough that, that my girlfriend's family, a part of her family lives on the other side of the state. So we're a couple hour drive away, like making time to go over there for the weekend and still being accessible to my staff if I need to for holidays or whatever. Um, I was able to, we were able to take a day trip to Disney World to visit some friends that were in town to, to go to Disney for a day um, during the season. So I still had to have, I mean, I still had to have this, but like, like it was still, um, you know, I didn't do, do much that day, which was good, but you still have to be accessible and be able to, to fix things. So I just try to find time um, as best I can. And like I said, I'm still working at it. Um, as much as this offseason has been busy and, and we've got a lot of things happening with free agents and the draft and all the rule five draft and things like that. Like I'm also, we're in the process of buying a house. So like you have that, you have to like, you have to take time to do all the things that you need to do to, to buy a house, go visit houses and do all the paperwork and all these things like that. There's a lot that goes into it. Right. Um, so I think just, just, I just try to find some time for myself, whether it's, it sounds crazy, but like one thing that I actually enjoy doing is like doing the laundry every week or weekend. So like just something where I can flip on TV, watch a game or, or watch a documentary or something and just kind of do some mindless things like where I don't have to be connected to, to work. Um, that's what I try to do. And then obviously making time for, for family at the holidays, you know, the one benefit to this job that I didn't have at the collegiate level, specifically at Notre Dame was I've got both of my major holidays back in Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, which is nice. Um, didn't have that before. So, but that was my choice. Again, that was my choice to, to not have those to work with football. But again, that experience led me to, to where I'm at. So, um, you know, it's, it's a give and take. It's everything's a give and take in this profession. I, I really believe that. Um, you got to figure out what works for you and, and give and take a little bit here and there. Right. No, definitely good advice with that. So what has been the most influential resource you found in your career so far, whether it be a book, a course, people you've worked with, whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think the people that have gone before me that have that have done this for a longer period of time than I have. Um, I, I won't openly tell them, Hey, you're a great resource for me. Like, but that they really are like to have, to be able to have those types of conversations. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what to expect when I took over at Salisbury. So I had a lot of conversations with my mentor about, you know, what, what needed to get done and things that needed to get done. And he had a list of things that, that he had done over the years. Um, so I used him a lot. Um, when I was in Notre Dame, taking over baseball from a guy that had done it for, you know, umpteen years, same deal, like just re relying on him as a resource to be like, hey, how'd you do this? Or, you know, we hosted that regional in 21, first time they had hosted a regional since uh, like 2001. I think they hadn't hosted a regional in like 20 years, or maybe it was 19 years. Either way, it doesn't matter, like long before I was there. So, hey, Mike, what do you, what do I need to do to get set up for this thing. Like the facility has changed in 20 years. So like what different, what things do we need to do? So utilizing those resources, same thing in this, in this environment, um, talking to the guy that, that did this for 20 some years in this organization, like getting his feedback, having conversations with him, 
uh, he's still around the area and he's actually kind of helping us with our draft medical stuff. So it's been nice to have him around and, and to rely on him as a resource and have conversations. And then my boss has been fantastic um, in terms of allowing me, you know, giving me a little bit of rope to, to say, Hey, like, I know you're not going to be perfect this first year. Let me help you. And just guiding me in that, in those, in those regards. So I think the people for me has been the best resource people that have done it a long time. Um, even close friends that are, that are in it with me right now or doing other things, but are still involved in athletic training, like to be able to just bounce ideas off of them or even just vent to them about the week or the day or whatever, um, has been really helpful. And, uh, and I think is really important. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that front. Even, even now I still, if I need to vent, if I have some things I've never seen, or if I just need something to talk to you, I've talked to former preceptors, former bosses. I mean, shout out Jason Wire. Just talked to him last week with something I'd never seen before. So, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I talked to I talked to him during the draft too, because we had a couple Mississippi state guys on our radar. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> just people like that, that can be great resources. Um, once you, as you get to know them and continue to be great resources throughout your career. Um, so you actually answered one of my next questions on if you could kind of change or eliminate one thing when talking about kind of the work-life balance part of things. So I think I'll hit you with your, our last question, which is let's kind of see how it matches up with how you answered the first time is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think, um, I don't remember my answer the last time I might have to go back and listen to it, but, um, I think that answer has changed over the years. Um, I think now for me, it's about building relationships with the people that you're in charge of, or, or you are care, you know, in charge of caring for. Um, I think that's a big part to this profession. I think it's, it's what athletic training is about. It's about building relationships with athletes, with players, with coaches, with other staff. It's, um, and it's doing all of that, but at the same time, providing medical care. Like the cool part about our profession is we were a healthcare provider, but we go off in so many other branches and, and have to interact with so many other branches of medicine. I, I talked to the, the eye doctors down in Miami at the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute. And the cool part is they're communicating with me, knowing how important my role is in this organization. And so they, they see me as a healthcare provider and they're willing to talk to me like a healthcare provider. Um, I, I just think that's really, that's really what this profession is all about is developing relationships. And I think that's, that's how we become better or seen better by other healthcare providers is building those relationships, having those conversations and not being, you know, not burying our feet into the ground and saying, this is athletic training and, and this is what we do, which I don't think a lot of us do, but I do think like when you're talking with other healthcare providers, you have to kind of, we also have to educate them on, on what we do and what our roles are. 
and, and how we can help them. It's not all about how they can help us. It's about how we can help them too. And, and I think that's a perfect example is this, the eye doctors um, in, in Miami for one of our players, just having those conversations um, and being able to just communicate with them well. Um, so I, I think that's a huge part to, to this profession is just building relationships um, and, and utilizing those relationships to advance not only the, the, the care that we're providing, but the, um, the view of, of what athletic training is. Um, and I'm going to use another quote from, from my boss because he, and it's something that him and I talked about during my interview. And as soon as he said it, it was one of those things that I immediately said, holy cow, that's, I've been thinking that I just could never put it into words. Um, but there are a lot of good athletic trainers. Um, but the art to the science, there's an art to the science that we do. And, and the art is having good relationships and building those relationships and, and developing those relationships into, you know, broadening our, our scope and broadening our practice as athletic trainers. So, um, art to the science, that's, that's kind of what I've, I've lived on. And, and like I said, he put it into words and I was like, holy cow, where has that been for a while? Cause I, I love to use that. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's what it's all about is, is the relationships that we build with our players and with our, you know, our staffs and everybody that we work with. Like I said, in the beginning, minor league baseball, professional baseball, but there's a lot of people to talk to and you got to figure out when to talk to them, how to talk to them, why, why you have to talk to them. Um, and you have to figure all that out, um, as, as it goes on. So that's, that's what it means to me. Absolutely. I love that answer. Well, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's always good to catch up on that front. Um, just for anyone who might want to, you know, get in contact, what are, what are the best ways to find you, to reach out to you? And now you have a Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Twitter is probably the, the way to, to do it. Although um, it's uh, actually, I think it's Scott S-A-T-C if I'm, if I'm looking at it. So you got to put my last initial in there. Got but you. um. But uh, yeah, that's that's probably a good way to find me. Um, and I probably, you know, I'll put put some Notre Dame stuff up there every once in a while and some Baltimore Orioles stuff up there now. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to, to follow me. And um, and I try to, you know, give everybody a little viewpoint into into what the job is on a, on a daily basis if I can. And um, yeah, this has been great. I, I really like what you guys are doing with this podcast. I think it's awesome to to get different viewpoints from different parts of athletic training, different environments, different, you know, people at different parts in their career. I just think it's really cool. Um, I really appreciate you reaching out and, and wanting to get this done. And I'm just glad that the, the organization was okay with me doing it too. And they were excited about it actually too. They thought it was pretty cool. Um, that uh, our PR people thought it was pretty cool. So um, yeah, this is, this has been great. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We appreciate your time and can't wait to share this with everyone who's listening. Thanks Austin, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of athletic training chat. This episode featured Scott Stansberry, who has pretty much done everything in baseball, hosted by Austin Fitzpatrick, who is wanting to always learn about everything that is baseball. Uh, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to 
check it out. Um, hopefully you got something unique out of it. If you want to be on the show, got a story to tell, or know somebody that you would want to hear from, let us know. We'd be happy to talk to them and hear their story and share it uh, just to expose what's going on in the world of athletic training. Uh, if you want to help us out with the Throw a Lifeline campaign, it is to help fund basic emergency medical supplies for athletic trainers that have little and or no budget to make sure that we're giving people within our profession what they need to get there. That is probably partnered with Mueller who provides the kit for all the equipment to go in. So if you're interested in that, head over to clinicallypress.org and check that out uh, and find your way to donate there. We really appreciate you again taking the time. Just by listening to this, you helped us support that Throw a Lifeline program. If you want to go beyond, we would be eternally grateful. Hope to catch you next episode and have a great rest of your day.